0: Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast.
1: Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie Rules and the Mighty Bombers.
0: From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you.
1: Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 81 of the Essendon People podcast, our review of the game against Melbourne in round five. Brendan, fair to say I, I didn't see that one coming. No, no. I think we're all um, p- shocked and pre- pleasantly
0: surprised there. Um, had the <laughs> had the main things going against us. Uh, interstate, wet weather, big-bodied
1: opposition, and we've managed to do the Trivector and uh, knock off the Ds. Um, it's the best, I reckon, I've seen us play in a few years. Uh, the only other game I can think that's comparable is, I think it was back in 2020 or 21 when we had a, a game that we played Collingwood at the G, and it was like kind of during that COVID period, there was no crowd there, and we came out just with heaps of pressure and played well, but it was hard to gauge because that, that whole season was a bit of a mess. But, um, yeah, played really well against Melbourne on the weekend, and it was the Bombers 15-14-104 to Melbourne 11-11-77. And um, that's a 27-point victory. So, as you said, pleasant surprise. And um, it wasn't just about getting the win. It was the way we played, I think, which has really made everyone uh, really encouraged and excited about what they saw. And I, I guess uh, I've noticed a lot of uh, other people that support other clubs talking about it as well and, you know, sending, sending your messages and, and chatting about it and saying, you know, gee, the way you're playing is pretty good. And I know it's early days, but um, it's a... It's a nice change from, I guess, some of the pain we went through last year. Yeah, it um
0: Esserdon for for a long time now I think Mark has been a side that's won games off the back of great performances from some of our better players. You know, we've seen games in the past where one or two players just have an absolute day out and dominate and kind of drag us over the line. Whereas so far this year there seems to be a system in place and we're playing a game plan. That's getting us ahead. And it's, and I think, you know, we'll get to the Heath Hocking medal votes later, but pretty much every game this year, I, I, apart from maybe one or two, there hasn't been a clear standout best player on the ground or standout couple players. It's been harder to do those sorts of votes. And I think that's really positive for us because it seems to be that this is Brad Scott's game plan. He's coming in. He's not structured into this is how we're going to play You know, we're going to be this forward handball-style game or whatever it's been in the past. He's coming in with a game plan of, okay, I want to do the basics well and then we'll tweak certain things to get advantage against our opponent on match day. I think the best example of that is Scott took in two Ruckman in the wet. Like, you you never bring in the extra tall in the wet, but he knew there was a structural advantage we could have by having the two Ruckman and he backed himself in to
1: exploit it and it worked. And there's some good discussion there to be had around Brad Scott. So we'll come back to that uh, a bit later in this episode. So let's go through the quarter by quarter. It was Essendon in the first quarter, five goals four thirty-four 34 to Melbourne four goals two twenty six. 26. So that nine scoring shots to six. And um, yeah, again, we've had, uh, we've been a high scoring team uh, in general for the first sort of five weeks and not the first time that we've had sort of nine or 10 shots on goal. Again, You know, conversion, 55% is not great. We could have really taken quite a big advantage in in that first quarter. We came out to play straight away. And for me, the biggest thing at the start of the game was I was really concerned with some of our slow starts in other games. And um, it was nice to see that that wasn't the case against quality opposition. And it wasn't raining at the start of the game. So there was no factor about weather or anything like that. And uh, it was good to see them come out, high pressure, get on top and put scoreboard pressure on as well. Yeah, when you say get on top, it
0: was the midfield that uh, that led the way there. I think there was lots of concerns of um, what's Petrarca and Oliver are going to do to us, they're going to rip us apart there. But the midfield, as a unit, did really well. And we'll talk about it later. Um, Will settlefield there, I thought, Clayton Oliver is possibly the best player in the competition. He's certainly in the top five. An argument could easily be made. And he had, I think it was, two possessions to a quarter time and Settlefield just, just beat him physically had a hold of him and then also nullified his impact and influence on the game. So great, great effort in that first quarter from the midfield. Second quarter, four goals, 6-30 to 3-3-21, three, three, 10 scoring shots to six. Um, so again, won that quarter by nine points and leading at halftime by 17. I guess, Mark, at halftime we're 9-10-64, from 19 scoring shots, I dare say uh, in previous years, we wouldn't have got that many scoring shots or score for the entire game. So to get that in a half uh, in trying conditions against a
1: very good opposition, it was really pleasing to see. Yeah, you're spot on. The In previous years, we've struggled to kick a score over sort of 60 or 70. So it's really pleasing to see us get there by half time. And we came out in the third quarter and kicked three goals, three twenty-one. 21. So, um still, you know, that was a lot less score than what we'd kicked in the previous two quarters, but was still six shots on goal. And we managed to keep Melbourne to just the two behinds. So we won that quarter by 19 points and went into the final break with a 36-point lead. And the third quarter, I think, is, if memory serves, when the
0: rain came. And that was really impacted that, that quarter quite heavily there. So it, was all, it wasn't it was so much about what we did with the ball. as what we did without it. And I thought... Two scoring shots from Melbourne, we really stifled their ability to move the ball. Uh, our midfield, we'll talk about the coach here, the midfield, the structure actually put pressure on. We seemed to swarm their players. There was always more of our players at a contest than theirs. And then that allowed our back line to have a fair crack at it. Uh, they, they wasn't getting dump ball on their head. They weren't getting outnumbers, repeat entries. They actually had time to zone off, beat their man, and
1: then go and help. And I thought that it really stood out in that quarter. In the final quarter, we kicked three goals, one nineteen to their four goals, four twenty-eight. 28. So they had the eight scoring shots in that final quarter. Um, thankfully they went at 50% and we went at 75%. So there was only a, a differential of nine points. They they clawed back nine points, but still lost the game by 27. So we led at one point in the final quarter by 42 points at, at peak, which is a handy lead against a side that's pretty good. And, um, I guess that last quarter, you would think if they've kicked four goals for, you know, and we've won by less than five goals, we've had the eight shots on goal, that there'd be a lot of pressure on us in the last quarter. And although they played probably better than us in that last quarter, I never really felt, always had the thing in the back of the mind, oh, gee, we could blow this, you know, at the end of the game, just run out of legs or they get on top and, you know, whack on quick goals like they have been known to in the past. But I think, to be honest, overall, now that I look back, I never really felt, like that was going to happen. I felt that we were always doing enough to keep sort of that four to five goal buffer. And um, you know, while they were hitting the scoreboard, I, I didn't really feel like they were getting on top in the game. It, it might seem odd to say that based on the stats and the and the scoring in the last quarter, but um yeah, it didn't feel like we were really threatened at at any point to to cough up that lead, like as if we were going to sort of choke. It felt like we controlled the game really well at the end.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And Melbourne are a good side, so the, the run was always going to come from them. And I think we may, might have tied a little bit, also took the foot off the pedal a little bit, knowing we had a, a bit of a margin there. So that's something that the coaching group will have to work through going forward there because taking the foot off a little bit against the good side, you see they got back into the game. And I think by that stage, the conditions and everything, it just made the margin too big to overcome. But, you know, in a... Perfect Sunday day at the MCG, that's not going to be the case. And, you know, think about a couple of years ago, we, we were in a similar position in a Dreamtime game over in the West against Richmond, and with 10 minutes to go, we thought, oh, we've got this wrapped. And then they just, in the space of three minutes, kicked seven goals and just ran over the top of us. So they're the learnings that we're going to have to continue to improve. Uh, and, you know, lots of talk about this last quarter is when Oliver's got all these possessions. But as I said earlier, uh, ineffectual. Didn't like he had a lot of the ball, but what did he do with it? You know. So and I think that was um really good to see that we had would have an impact on the opposition's best player. Uh, and it's not always about stopping a bloke getting the ball. Sometimes it's what he does with it. And then it's not just what impacting the player with the ball. You can win that contest and make that guy's possession ineffectual by having a defensive setup down the line. So when he kicks the ball, it goes to contest. Push it out of brown. We might even have the thing get a ball up.
1: So it was more of a structural thing than one player dominating. We'll just go through some stats now. I guess we were without without going through all the figures. We we're marginally up in contested possession, uncontested possession, effective disposal, defo- disposal efficiency marks. Uh, it was more when we get to um, some of the contested ball, contested marks. We, we were eleven to their seven. Marks inside 50, we were 15 to their nine. Tackles was a huge one for me. We were 71 the, to their 55. I think that's the highest number I've seen from us in, in recent times. I don't know. We've, we've called for sort of that, you know, around that 80-odd tackles a game, and, and we're nearly, nearly at that on the weekend. Um, tackles inside 50, more of. Heaps more score involvements. 119 to 78. Uh, 29 scoring shots to their 22. So really got on top in, in some of those categories. Um, conversion still just a touch over 50%, so work to do there. But if you're having a lot of shots on goal, that somewhat takes the pressure uh, off your conversion.
0: Yeah, and I think what, what you highlighted there, Mark, was the forward of centre, 15 marks inside 50s, 13 tackles inside 50s, 50, 57 inside 50s 50 in total, and then, you know, was that 29 scoring shots? We did really well to get the ball in there, and I think our entries in there were quite good. Sometimes you can kick it to the boundary and it just goes inside the 50 and then it comes back out. But these were in particular Darcy Parrish, a number of his kicks inside 50 to hit up the leading target when he could have blazed away or could have just dumped the ball down the line. Take, take that extra second, extra time, make a last minute decision and hit the leading target or kick it to the forwards advantage. Right. I think it was really impressive to see. And you know, I Zach, Zach Merritt has done that for a, a, a number of years, but the have Darcy start to bring that into his game, I thought was, was really good. And I think the key thing is is that you don't have to have the perfect kick inside 50 to the leading forward who takes the mark uncontested. Sometimes you just got to kick it in a scrappy way, but you've got to put it to the forward's advantage and give them the best chance that when they hit that pack, they can either bring it to the ground or get their hands to it and we can do something afterwards. I think a couple of years ago, Mark, when we played Melbourne there, I think it was COVID year down at Geelong, we just bombed the ball in constantly and Lever and May had a field day. They just marked absolutely everything and they didn't have to work that hard because the ball was actually kicked to their advantage as opposed
1: to our advantage. So these improvements, it's really pleasing to see. Let's go through the good, bad and ugly now. So in the good, we, we sort of covered already about starting the game well. And I, I think just want to quickly highlight again that that wasn't something that we had done well in the first few games this year. And it was nice to see that we rectified a trend that we were having there that wasn't wasn't a, a positive one. Uh, the pressure, we kind of mentioned then as well that we had 71 tackles to 55, the 13 tackles inside 50 and 347 Pressure acts. So just to highlight some of the key players that, that brought that was uh, Will Setterfield, 10 tackles, 32 pressure acts. Uh, Will Snelling, 10 tackles, 24 pressure acts. Zach Merritt, 7 tackles and 28 pressure acts. And Jai Colbo with the 6 tackles and 27 pressure acts. So uh, really good team effort and um, the pressure was evident just by the eye. Forget the stats, just by the eye watching the game on TV. It was pretty obvious to see. Yeah, and the, the handball was really good. I guess in, in wet conditions, there
0: it's probably a bit safer to go by hand than by foot. Sometimes, even though you are trying to get um, distance. So, out of out of the total three hundred and eighty odd disposals, we handballed it one hundred and fifty five times, which I think is it's a bit of a weird stat. Doesn't really give you anything, but I think the kick to handball ratio is important. So, for every every one kick, we pretty much had. Half a handball, right? So, you know, I think that's really indicative of this trying to take care of the ball and try to move the ball forward and not let the opposition just walk away with it. I get The ruck, I think, talked about earlier, clear advantage we had on the day. Draper and Phillips both had good games, kicked five goals between them. Draper's had the four marks, three goals, seven inside 50s. Phillips had the 12 disposal, six marks. Two goals and six scoring involvements. I thought they were really, really good. Mark Draper, I think, stands out because he's big Sam Draper. He's got the mullet, he's flowing, and he he does all the things that really catch the eye. But Andy Phillips, I think, deserves a lot of credit for his performance. More of a low-key type of player in terms of his style, but equally as effective. And I think he gave Grundy his annual annual bath there because he uh, seems to match up
1: pretty well on him. Yeah, no, definitely. It was a, a huge performance by Phillips and everyone's really getting around him and it's uh, it's good to see. And yeah, you don't have to have 35 possessions a game and kick three to to stand out. So um, yeah, good on Andy Phillips and Sam Draper as well. Um, the midfield had a big job. Uh, we, we covered in last week's pod that you know, it was going to be a huge task coming up against the likes of, you know, Petrarca and Oliver and those guys. And they stood up and did it. So Merritt, 35 disposals, the seven tackles we mentioned already, nine inside fifties. Darcy Parrish, the 34 disposals. Um, He had eight inside fifties. Dylan Shield, 28 disposals. Will Setterfield, 19 disposals. We mentioned those 10 tackles as well. And uh, Martin and Durham on the wings. Martin, uh, 17 disposals. Kicked a couple of snags as well. And um, Sammy Durham, probably his best game for the club, arguably, had 24 disposals, uh, took four marks, some of those contested, really good. And, um, yeah, just just had a a really good quality game and was playing on, you know, some pretty tough opposition out there on the wings was both um, Martin and Durham. So, yeah, that whole midfield group really stood up and went the full four quarters against quality opposition, which was pleasing to see. Yeah, it was really good and
0: it kind of... Like I was talking earlier, what they did forward of the centre was really good and got themselves involved in a lot of chains that led scores. So Merritt had eight score involvements, Parrish eight, Shield nine, Setterfield seven, Martin five and Durham nine. I think that's really important, you know, because sometimes with us, we talked about earlier, it's just individual brilliance of one or two players and then they just win, win us the game. But this seemed like a... Midfield structure, game plan, beat the opposition, and when you win the ball, go forward, right? And that's it's really, really good to see, and hopefully we can keep that up. Uh, now we we'll move to another area of the ground, the backline. Uh, talked earlier how they just played so well defensively in terms of intercepting the ball, beating their man. Um, McGrath nine intercepts, Laverde, ten, Redmond four. Ridley, seven, and BZT, five. What did you make of the back line, Mark? I thought they had a, a pretty day, good
1: day out, all of them. Yeah, really good. Um, McGrath stood out for me early. He provided a lot of dash, a lot of run, creativity um, coming forward. So, uh, yeah, re- really stood out, all of them. And probably, you know, it doesn't make the stat sheet, but Jane Laverty. Squaring up to Clayton Oliver when he came in to, to remonstrate for, I think Laverty gave away a bit of a, a fifty or a free for a bit of a clip over the year that sort of went over the, his back. It wasn't intentional, and um, Oliver came in to remonstrate and Laverty almost sat him down. It just uh, and then he quickly ran off after that. So it was good good to see and um, just little things like that um, are things that we like to see because previously we haven't been probably. A group that necessarily stands up for each other and for ourselves, and things like that bring the group up. So, um, really good to see. And if I'm a teammate and I see Clayton Oliver, you know,
0: so called, Laura likes to think of himself as a bit of a tough guy there, stroll over to a bloke that's kind of standing on the mark. You know, these days with the stand rule, you're kind of vulnerable on the mark. You can't really do anything there. For him to kind of front a senior player in La Verde, um, it was really great to see, like you said, Lab stand up for himself be a physical presence. So I'm inspired by Lab's effort and I you know, oh geez, I really like to play with this guy. How great is it? But I would have liked to have seen, you know, maybe a bit of ill discipline, but some of the boys get over there, you get stuck into uh, Oliver, you know, um, you know, maybe give away free kick or, you know, 50 metres, but just a real stamp on the game. You can't do this to us. We're going to stand up for ourselves. The S- the incident of the past where, you know, we, we cop this stuff and, we just kind of get on with it. That's that's not the essence of the now, right? And really, you know, stand up for each other, be physical, right? And then, you know, I'm prepared to wear the cost of that, which is free kicks and, you know, worst case scenario, maybe a suspension or two because
1: I think the gain that we get from it is is invaluable. Is it- Definitely. continue rolling through some of the goods here. Nick Hine came on and had a good impact as the sub. Um, Harry Jones unfortunately had to go off with what seems like an ankle injury Nick Hine came back uh, came on immediate impact seven disposals two marks two goals goals at pretty critical times um, as well that really helped settle us and also goals at times that really helped lift the group and give that belief and give that excitement that hey we're about to win this game and and um, cull a bit of a giant here so uh, props to Nick Hyde. Dyson Heppel wanted to highlight him again. He went at 100% efficiency last week and he backed it up this week at 93% efficiency, 16 disposals, 7 marks, 4 tackles, 3 rebound 50s and 5 intercepts. Had some really crucial moments. Looked measured, looked experienced and um, I felt like gave it a sense of calmness around the around that sort of back half back as well when he needed to. So really pleased for Dyson to string together a couple of games. I mentioned in last week's pod that you know, I wouldn't have been surprised to see him measured, uh, managed being an interstate game, but I'm glad that they didn't do that and um, it's really proved his, his worth and his value over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and then finally in in the goods here,
0: we kicked over 100 points again, so that's their third time this season. So last year across the entire season, we only did it six times. So to have, have three in five weeks, I think it's uh, – a pleasant sign, and, and long may it continue. And then, I guess the really important thing to remember in that mark is that no Peter Wright, no Sam Wiedemann, they are two key forwards, no Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, right? I think Stringer, did he even kick a goal on the weekend? I can't recall. If he did, maybe maybe one, right? So four out four kind of best forwards you would think of had had no impact on the
1: on the result. And if, you, if you're looking at players that contributed goals last year, also Mac Guelphie out, out of that list as well. So, um, yeah, doing really well to share the load. And As you said, previous times we've won games, it would be based on you know um, individual performance and, and brilliance and it's a bit more team-orientated this year, it seems, which is good. Um, last one on the goods is that we beat a really tough opponent going into a really hard sort of four to six weeks and that, that period's not over and we're going to be tested week after week here, so... We just need to keep standing up. For me, a pass is not if we win every week. That's still not, you know, I still think it was quite good to get the win, but that's certainly not what I'm expecting every week if I'm realistic. And, um, yeah, we just need to get through this next month and prove that we belong and keep improving, I, I guess, is, is the message. So we'll move on to the bad. The game generally just felt over umpired We don't like to highlight the umpires on this podcast, but... There was a lot of whistles going off. 42 free kicks paid for the game. I think last week there was only 17 for the entire game. This game, granted, was a little bit wet. So, you know, maybe that contributes. Um, Maybe something the AFL needs to look at. Having the four umpires on the ground just seems like there's times where there's maybe confusion. One person calls it. uh, The umpire that's close, it doesn't. Um, Just a little bugbear, I guess. There there wasn't a hell of a lot to put in the bad. So, um, that's probably a, a positive in some respects. But, yeah, just... A little bit whistle-happy at times, which detracts from the viewing pleasure.
0: <laughs> and then just the, the other one is the injuries there. Jones, you mentioned earlier, Mark, being subbed off with the ankle. That's the third time Jones has been subbed off this year. Um, ankle is obviously an ongoing issue of his. He's had a number of pre-season now affected by it, so hopefully they can maybe look to, to get him right. Uh, Menzi had like a, a foot lower leg complaint lift-off later in the game. And BZT obviously... Uh, when he did that ankle early, I think we all thought, oh, geez, they are in for a bad day there, but showed great fortitude, come back on the ground. So hopefully he can, um, can pull up this week uh, with a 10-day break. And um, hopefully, I'm not quite sure if it was the same ankle as one that saw him miss earlier in the year, but hopefully it's um, not the case and he can get
1: it right. Uh, in the ugly, the big ugly coming out of this game is Zach Merritt, one-week suspension for rough conduct and a dangerous tackle on uh, Sparrow. So it was classed as careless conduct, medium impact, and high contact, which automatically gets you a week. Uh, at the time of recording, about an hour ago, it was upheld on appeal. So that seems to be case closed and that Zach will miss Anzac Day, unfortunately. So that's um, not good news.
0: No, it's, it's not. So I guess from the coming out of the uh, tribunal, there are some reports there that um, the tackle, in order for it to be a dangerous tackle, it's got to meet two criteria. Uh, that sparrow was in a vulnerable position, and that he was slung, driven, or rotated into the ground with excessive force. Vulnerable position—I don't know. He, blokes get tackled all the time, you know. I don't—I don't think there was anything particularly egregious about the way he was tackled there, and I would dispute that the force was used was excessive. Yes, force was used, but you, Mark, we talked earlier about it being medium impact there. Oh, You know, the grading is severe, high, medium and low. Um, I wouldn't think the fact that it was medium. Sparrow got straight back up, took his free kick, actually played on from the mark, uh, never come from the ground and didn't even look like he rubbed his head. (laughs) So I think we we had a discussion off the pod and I've had this with a couple of mates over the uh, past couple of days. To me, severe is you bring someone to the ground, you knock them out right, and they you got they essentially got to be carted off. They're knocked out in the incident, boom, straight away. The high is they have to come off the ground, to have an assessment, and then the assessment then rules them out, right? Medium is they come off, have an assessment, and they pass it and they come back on. And low is that the bike just plays on, lock it in. And I think... That's what happened with Sparrow, and it should have been graded low. If it was low, Merritt would have got a fine. I understand, you know, the risk to cause injury is something that's now factored into these decisions. But I think Merritt was quite stiff to miss, and I certainly wouldn't have thought that that was a suspendable offence. Yeah,
1: it's a shame it happens for our biggest game of the year, and that the whole vulnerable position thing is so subjective. Like, you know, if you go for a screamer and you stick your knee up and it gets close to some back of someone's head or hits the back of their head, that's a vulnerable position. You tackle someone near the fence or you're both running at a ball harder towards the fence and you run out of room and you both hit the fence. That's a vulnerable position. If you go up in the ruck and stick your knee up and it ends up in someone's ribs, that's a vulnerable position. So there's many different aspects of the game that are natural things that happen in the game that, that could meet these criteria. Um, I know hard to adjudicate, and they're trying to, you know, stamp out the whole um, concussion thing, which is obviously a serious issue. But um, yeah, it's a shame that it's it's um, it's a pretty frustrating way, and you know, just due to interpretation, you know, this last year or the year before probably uh, wouldn't have seen sack miss a game. And let's not forget, football is a contact sport,
0: right? And one of the great parts about the game is that you're able to be physical and use your physicality against the opposition to, to win the ball. Um, let's not, you can't, not every time a person gets injured, someone's at fault. Sometimes inc- things that's happen, you know, in the racing world, they're called racing incidents. Like things just happen in the, in the course of the ordinary business that you, that it operates. So yeah, there's a point to say. Under the heap hocking metal votes, Mark. Um, very, very hard to give five votes this week. I think we could probably go to give fifteen. Uh, such was the performance. Uh, I'll start this week. I gave my five votes to Will Satterfield. I thought he was fantastic. Five, four, four votes to Jaden Laverty, three to Sam Durham, two to Sam Draper, and one to Zach Merritt. My apology is Andy Phillips.
1: My apology list is very long, so I won't go through <laughs> it. <laughs> but I gave my five votes to Sam Draper. Four votes to Sam Durham, three votes to Will Setterfield, two votes to Andy McGrath, and my one vote to Andy Phillips. So with that, let's take a break, and we'll come back with an update on the VFL and VFLW results on the weekend. So Brendan, on to the VFL results first. Uh, Round four, Essendon versus Casey it was a loss in this one, Casey getting the job done by 40 points over us. So it was Essendon, five goals, 12-42 to Casey, 12 goals, 10-82. Um, first half seemed pretty close. It was sort of a goal or two the difference away. But to be honest, watching the game, we're always probably, you know, struggling a little bit to be at their level. I think they had the wilderness pretty early and just maintained that and then we sort of struggled to hold on in the second half and it, and it blew out a little bit and and the margin ended up at that 40 points that you see. So, um, stats-wise, we actually had a, a lot more kicks than them. Uh, probably wasn't the day for kicking because it was pretty wet and uh, miserable conditions and, um, yeah, they managed to, to get on top of us. We had more tackles, which was pleasing. Uh, hit-outs, we went really well with the hit-outs. We'll get to Nick Bryant in a second. Um, inside 50s was pretty even. We just weren't able to take our chances. So, um, we'll roll through some of the AFL-listed players now, of which we had 10. Ben Hobbs was probably the pick of the bunch. He had 30 disposals, uh, six marks and a tackle, played in the guts all day. Lewis Hayes did a good job down back, 13 disposals, five marks, found a bit of space as a, as a um, player, you know, helping to, to get out of the 50. Um, big job for him considering that um, that uh, Baldwin's out of the side as well at the moment. Nick Bryan, on return from his hamstring injury in the ruck, went pretty well. 16 disposals, six marks. He had uh, a shot on goal that he missed and had the 31 hit-outs. Um, pretty even hit out in the ruck there with Bell from um, Casey, but uh, Nick Bryan did a good job. Alistair Lord, your boy, he continues to improve. 21 disposals, three marks, kicked the behind and had two tackles. Pretty dashing off that half-back area, um, so, so good job by him. Rip Montgomery, sort of player who... You don't notice a hell of a lot until you actually look for him and then all of a sudden you realise that he's had 22 disposals, taken five marks and um, provides a bit of creativity uh, off the back line there. So, um, yeah, another good, another good game from Rhett.
0: Yeah, and then big
1: P. Voss, four marks,
0: two goals from 14 touches. Um, at, you know, hit the scoreboard there, but I don't think really stood out as much as he has it in previous weeks. Young, young Texan, uh, six disposals, two marks, three tackles. Um, defensively, he works hard, right? Sometimes I think um, gets himself out of position a little bit, but it's just a just a young player coming into the game. Massimo, twenty touches, four marks. Um, kicking is obviously his weapon there. As you said, Mark, a wet day, you know, might have, you know, turned a couple over, just not kicked it to the advantage of the player that we had at the time. Uh, tipper. Nine disposals, five marks. Um, really think it's just about getting K's in the legs for Tipper, um, making sure he's he's back to full fitness so he doesn't re-injure himself and can actually get through uh, a full game there. It will be interesting to see if uh, he gets a game this week because he is a, he's a big game player. And Anthony Mankara, six disposals, three marks. Kick one, goal one, which was impressive from unlimited disposals and the two tackles with uh, Mankara there. So, Nick Bryan, Mark, we talked earlier about the, the two Ruckman doing really well, and he, he is a favourite of mine. First week back from a hammy there, got a lot of hit outs. Um, do you think he'll be able to maybe get in the side
1: later on in the year in place of Andy Phillips? Yeah, I don't see why not. I think the coaches should be showing him what Phillips is doing and getting him to aspire to that. You know, maybe he's not as physical as Phillips, but. You know, it just shows that with work rate and uh, and using your tricks, you can put the other ruckman, you know, to the sword a little bit and, and put pressure on them. So, um, yeah, strong return from Nick Bryan. He, he's developed immensely in the last couple of years and we want to see him continue that.
0: So he's 21. He's into his fourth season. I think I saw he's listed at about a 100, 102 kegs there. Um, is it just the case that he needs to get two more years of development into him, which would be around the time that Phillips might retire. And I, he's got, you look at 102 kilos, it looks like he's big and strong in his field there. But when I see him, I think what he lacks is that ability to hold his ground. I think in the centre work, tap, I think he's our best ruckman. I think he's just pure tap work. He's better than anything that Phillips and Draper can get. And that's because he can run, he can stick the knee up and use his height and his skills quite good. I think it's more the around-the-ground stuff, which um, he's got to improve. And that I think just going to come with time to, to be able to wrestle, wrestle his rackman.
1: Yeah, I mean, you see some of the things Phillips was doing on the weekend and they're not necessarily related to you know, his size or experience. It's more just his desire and his effort, you know, smothering um, you know, on the out of the defensive fifty there and things like that. So they're the sort of things that we need to see from Nick Bryan a little bit. And I'm sure he'll be able to work his way into the team and then hold a position. And pretty um pretty excited to hopefully one day see the the Bryan and Draper combo and um, see it for weeks on end. Mm. So next week we play Collingwood uh, on Sunday and that's at Victoria Park. So 12pm um, 12, 12 at Victoria Park. Um, good opportunity to to watch us play against Collingwood twice in, in uh, the space of a few days. Yeah, and we'll move on to the VFLW there. So
0: and again played Casey. Uh, we won by the two, two points there. Four goals, 13 to five goals, five. Um, I guess... The standout player for the match was Paige Scott, 20 disposals, four marks, three goals, three. Uh, unfortunately for Paige, she suffered a concussion there. Um, she's gone to hospital, had some scans. She's, she's okay, but she will miss. And she's obviously a, a very important player for us in the VFLW as well as the AFLW. So hopefully that injury doesn't keep her out long-term. Uh, Joanne Doonan, uh, 16 disposals. One goal, one, five tackles, and then it's the same names as pretty much last week there, Mark. Radford, 18 disposals, three tackles. Amber Clark, 14 disposals, two goals, sorry, two behinds, two tackles, and Cody Jakes, 15 disposals, five tackles there. So um, they're currently sitting ninth on the ladder, having played the four games for one win, two losses and a draw. Uh they also play Collingwood this week. I think it's the Anzacs uh, triple header, but it's actually on Saturday at 11 a.m. Victoria Park. So you could do the Saturday-Sunday double uh, for the VFLW VFL and then
1: uh, yeah,
0: that's Tuesday Tuesday when when the men's AFLW AFL side um, takes on the pies of the G. All
1: right, let's take another break and let's come back to finish the show with a bit of discussion around the coaching um This year, and some of the differences that we've seen there. So, Brendan, we're going to round out the show with a bit of discussion around the coaching um, situation and improvements, I guess, this year. Notably, we're not going to be doing the game preview against Collingwood in this episode. So, decided there was a lot to go over with a good win over Melbourne and uh, we wanted to sort of give that the time in this episode. So we'll do a separate show for uh, covering the preview of the Anzac Day clash against the Pies. So not sure what day we'll get that out yet. Maybe it'll be over the weekend or something like that. But, um yeah we'll do a, do a separate show there that will come out. So with that, let's go into a bit of um, discussion around the coaching. And I guess the reason we're doing this is, we often talk about good bad and ugly in the first half of our show and we go through players and we go through stats and all that sort of stuff we don't often stop on the coaching and if we do it's usually as a result of something that we see as maybe not a positive or a negative that's you know due to a lack of creativity or a lack of someone you know going into a 10 center bounces or a lack of ability to do something late in the game to make a change or something like that so it's normally not a positive discussion, which is a shame. So uh, I guess we wanted to focus on highlighting the positives um, today that have been happening with Brad Scott coming in. So um, the, I think from the outset, like you can see in the first five games that there's kind of a clear – while the game plan might not be you know, clear to everyone that either the game plan is that they go straight down the corridor or every time or something like that, there, there is like an obvious – understanding from the players as to what they need to do and there's there's a lot of linking handball and there's uh, players seem to be playing their roles um uh, i guess with with more understanding and seem happier and um there's not you don't see as much finger pointing and arm waving and arms going up in the air as we were last year i'm sure obviously that comes with winning games as well you're obviously going to be more upbeat but in general the vibe around the group and the, and the culture it seems around the club and the group seems to have improved and we look more disciplined out there. So that that's kind of a very high level overview of, of initially we'll work into some stats at a moment, but um, yeah, things so far this year, obviously with wins is helping that, but um, yeah, things seem a bit better uh, structured this year. Talked the last word. There was the one
0: I was going to hate. You said discipline. I say structure. I think that's that's kind of what I, I see is in that. I think it's very clear. The players have been given very clear instructions in terms of this is the this is the role that this position is. I see you playing this position because you have these attributes. There you are know? if you if you play that role and then you do it well. I'll keep playing you. And I guess a good example of that is Harry Jones. We've been, God, I know, I've certainly have been a bit critical of, of Harry Jones there I and mean, a lot of the Essendon public has. But Brad Scott in his press conference has said repeatedly, he's, he's playing a specific role and we think he's playing it well. And if he does that, he'll continue to get a game in the side. All right? And that role it might be... He's a hit-up forward that drags defenders away from the 50, takes them kicks it inside 50, can competes, gets on his bike up the ground. Now, you know, you could argue that you know, let's put play Patty Voss like I have. He's kicking bags. We want, you know, that's a whole game, kick scores. But it seems like Scott is quite happy with the role he's doing. He's he's picking him. So if that's the case, all the more power to to Scott and to Jones. But I think what I've noticed, and I, talked about, I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, Mark, is the midfield. I think there's been a big change in how the midfield works. Uh, it's been much talked about this year that we've got pretty much the same group of four midfielders every centre bounce uh, in, in the five games there. Uh, Shield, Merritt, Parrish, Centrefield, and then... Martin and Darren on the wings and not too many others uh, get a look in, but that that's a negative because we want to see more players in there get more variety, but it's also a positive in that guys playing together breeds consistency and you have the each guy know the roles that they're playing and the roles that they're playing work well
1: together. And you, you, you mentioned the midfield there, and obviously I started this after the break talking about Brad Scott and mentioned his name a few times, but probably worth mentioning a man who's – name escapes me and you might have to help me here, former midfielder from the came in this year.
0: You just stole the point I was going to make, is in that last year we went from having Blake Carousella as our midfield coach and that was pretty much it. This year we've got Carousella as the senior midfield coach, we've got Benny Jacobs as the assistant midfield coach and we've got Brent Stanton as a development coach, right? And so Stance went from coaching the VFL to actually being a development coach. And we all know that Travis Cloak and Michael Hurley have stepped into development coach role. But, like, it's very clear to see that Jacobs, defensive player, defensive mindset, was a player under Brad Scott, was a good player under Brad Scott and knows what Brad wants out of a game of football in terms of structure. And then Stance can come in and supplement that, you know. Was a bit of a whipping boy at times, Stance, uh, during his career. But one thing people can't question is his work rate and his consistency. A bloke was like top three, five, in the best and fairest every year for a decade. (laughs) Never missed a game. Worked as hard as anyone. Did a lot of unrewarded selfless running to help his teammates out. So those two in combination with Kara, I think is really
1: really helping our midfield flourish. Definitely And uh, a, a um, quote from Brad Scott that I really enjoyed on the weekend during his press conference. I think it was actually at the start of his press conference he said he said I'm really proud that's the exact word I use with the players. You don't always get reward for effort but today we did. that was really pleasing. We've been working on all facets of our game. It's been steadily improving, but the non-negotiable is just effort and intent. And it was there in spades today. And it's that last bit where it says that the non-negotiable was just effort and intent. And that's something that all us and people have been crying out for uh, in recent times. And don't get me wrong. We've had years, 2021, we played well, we snuck into the finals, we, we got done in the finals, but we we had a pretty good year. I think for the most part, uh, people enjoyed that year. So um, it's not as if you know things were all bad under under previous um, management and things but uh, i think it's it's pleasing to see that there's some very simple things like effort and intent that are being communicated from the coach down to the players and and it's it's easy to see them on the field now as supporters that those things are actually getting delivered by the players and the perfect example of that
0: is points conceded Per game, we'll get into some stats now. Last year, I think we every single Essendon person bemoaned the fact that it was like a game of checkers at time. The opposition would just kick the ball from one to one, and it'd go over the top, and they'd score a goal in about ten seconds after five possessions. And then, I guess the the, the best example of that was the was the Collingwood game last year when Jamie Elliott kicked that goal after the siren. There, it just went. From fullback, over the top of a group of players, straight to a colony player, again, another kick, and then hit Elliot. But that's changed this year. So last year, we we conceded 94.9 points against per game, which ranked us 16th in the competition. So far this year, we're conceding 77.8, which ranks us third in the competition. So a Drastic improvement, and you know what's that? Three goals difference. You know, I think that's. I think it's massive improvement out of one preseason. Yeah,
1: that's huge. And then that that prompted us also to look up what our points for were a game as well. And that that I guess that what you've just highlighted is the defensive effort, and this is going to be more the offensive. So points for in 2022 compared to 2023. Interestingly, are uh, nearly a mirror image of the points against. So points four in 2022 was 78.95, so call it 79 points, that we'd score a game. And points four in 2023, off obviously a smaller sample size at the moment, but so far 99.6, so just shy of 100 points a game. Um, I'm not sure how they rank in terms of in, in the competition. Or you do, so you go. Yeah.
0: So they ranked fourth in the competition for points per game, and that's on the back of being third in inside fifties per game and fifth in goal assists. So doing really, really well. Like we talked kind of this week, we talked earlier, it's a microcosm of the season. Forward of centre, getting the ball inside fifty, and then once we're inside fifty, hitting the scoreboard.
1: It's been it's been really pleasing. And you mentioned inside 50 there. And I, I guess, you know, we had Peter Wright had a breakout year last year and played really well. You know, Jake Stringer at times chimed in and and, and that. But, uh, and people like Matt Guelphy played good cameos as well. But outside of that, there really wasn't a lot. And I, I guess what's frustrated Essen fans for a number of years is, you know, bombing the ball long, not to advantage and things like that. Goals per inside 50 percentage now, we are now ranked. Number five in the competition this year so far. Last year we were 13th. So uh, I guess making the most of, of the inside 50 opportunities we get. And then time in our forward half differential this year ranked number four, last year ranked number 13. Inside 50 differential this year number six, last year number 13. So um, as you can see, I guess being more efficient. With the ball that we do get inside fifty and keeping it in there, and that's things like you know we go through every week the tackle numbers inside fifty and things like that that we highlight to, to, to see where we're at with pressure, um, and those things are starting to now show in those rankings.
0: Yeah, it's really pleasant to see the improvement in those in those key areas, and it's also not uh, not a pat ourselves on the back there, Mark, but um, we've been highlighting these things for. 81 episodes consistently. I think they, they these were the things where the bugbear of ours for for many years and was almost kind of a bit of a driving thing about the podcast. How do we – players change, coaches change, you know, structures change, everything change, but the ca- same issues that we have seem to repeat themselves year after year after year, right? And by no means is Brad Scott coming in there five weeks being the change of all that, but it's pleasant to see that the, the improvement validates the things that you or I were looking at, and I'm sure we're not alone. I'm sure if people have taken the time to listen to this podcast, they've uh, pretty invested in the Bombers and have been for a long time there and have seen those things themselves. So um, it is pleasing to see that, you know, we're not
1: just going mad. <laughs> Speaking of things that we've highlighted on the podcast over the journey, now there's no stat here for Red Time Goals. And I know that it still happens because it happened on the weekend. I think the first two quarters, we conceded scores or or opportunities at goals at the end of the first and second quarter. But I feel like it's happening less, which is maybe an indication of the the general defensive pressure that this is completely off the cuff. There's no statistic for this. I wish there was because I, I feel like over the years, our comments would have been justified. But, uh, yeah, I do, in general, in all seriousness, i found that we've probably spoken about it less this year than we have in previous years, and hopefully that's a trend that continues, which is probably only an indication of, you know, defensive efforts and, you know, just general game awareness as well. Yeah, I think game awareness is a big thing. You know, we, we, there was talk
0: a couple of years ago of how we manage games in situations. We lost. We lost a couple of tight ones and just not being able to, you know, take the time, knowing what you're doing within that last two minutes. In that last two minutes, we're going to kick to the boundary. In that last two minutes, we're going to have the ruckman come up the half forward in this scenario. When the ball's at the throw-in, we're going to have two kicks away, have someone stationed here and have a runner there to be, once the the mark is taken, he can give that handball release and switch to the other side of the ground. Those sorts of things, I think, um, are improving. It's by no means fixed, Then it... it Football is one of those games that you, you always lose games and you always concede goals late and it's just about minimising the times that those happens and when it does happen, it's not through a structural fault of yours, it's through
1: someone's played a blinder and you just kind of, that's the way it goes. Definitely. Um, what else have we got in the stats here, Brendan? Anything to go through that's remaining on, on the table that's worth highlighting or a bit more general chat?
0: I think a bit more general chat. I think the people have, have had enough of the stats. Uh, <laughs> but when I when I stat boffins, um, overall, Mark, what, how has your expectations changed if they have changed in the first five weeks
1: of football from the start of the year? Are you, are you happy? Are you sad? Is are you kind of where you're at? It's a great question. I'm obviously happy. Um and pleasantly surprised as we started the episode by saying, but um, in terms of my expectations changing, they probably have changed a little bit, but I think in general, they're the same. I went into the season before a ball was even bounced. I think we both said to each other, I'm not really concerned with the win loss ratio. And I think between ourselves, when we tipped where Essendon would finish, I think we both tipped bottom four. So we didn't see a whole lot of improvement in terms of win loss ratio or anything like that. The, the, area that I was looking for was effort and I guess, you know, being able to enjoy watching the games again. I felt like we went to so many games last year where you just simply didn't enjoy it. You got frustrated. You felt like the players weren't trying. So you felt like, why should I be here and, uh, and showing my support and turning up to games if they kind of aren't. Um, I haven't felt that this year. Obviously, that helps with wins that, you know, was going to feel good. But, um, you know, I think even, even if over the next four weeks, we've got a really hard run. If we lose all four of those games or the next five games, whatever it is, I won't be disappointed so long as we go down swinging and we go down fighting. And even if we lose by five goals, I don't want to see it's blown out, but even if we lose by you know five goals or something like that, as long as we go down swinging, similar to what we did against the Saints, we fought our way back into it after a poor start. Then we kind of you know got blown out a little bit in the end. But I'd say that we kind of had a crack, which is good, which is something that we didn't see last year. So I think... For me, the expectation this year was simply to have a crack. And I think so far we've done that in all five games. And if we lose the next five, it'll still be a pass for me as long as we don't get blown away and we have a crack. So speaking of the next five weeks, obviously Collingwood this week, Anzac
0: Day. Then we got the Cats, uh, Port Adelaide over there, Brisbane over there, and then uh, Dreamtime with the G, the Tigers. So... Five tough games, as you said. I think the travel, the 2 interstate travel back-to-back, I think, makes those tougher, especially the um, the travel to Brisbane after going to Adelaide. Um, but having said that, I don't think they're unwinnable. Collingwood, top four side, so I'll are there in good form. But, you know, if, if we... I think I wouldn't expect us to get blown out, or at least I hope we don't get blown out. Cats... Uh, not going as well this year as last year and might be an opportunity for a bit of retribution for round one last year. To, and that'll be a good marker to say, this is the reigning Premier, 12 and a bit months on, how have we improved? Port Adelaide over there, um, obviously a much tougher side at home than away. Uh, Port and Ken Hinkley under a bit of pressure there. Um, not playing as good a football as probably as they'd hoped, but they've had a pretty tough start to the year there. And they've got some good young players. So, uh, interesting. Brisbane, slow start to the year, but they were my premiership pick at the start of the year. And I think after flogging North on the weekend, they'll um get back in this good form. And then the Tigers, uh, I think that's probably our best chance in a long time to maybe get a win on on Dreamtime there uh, with the injuries that they're currently suffering at, and their form. So, um. Yeah, I think it's a real chance. Now, Mark, second question. Do we start moving towards removing the lid? Are finals a possibility? We've won we've won four games. Now I'm being deliberately provocative, everyone listening at home. We've won four games, and we've still got double ups against North Melbourne and West Coast. So four games. So two against West Coast, two against North. Dak. If we win those games, and those two being two of the three worst teams in the competition, along with uh, Sam Mitchell's Hawthorne, uh, that'll get us to eight wins. Do we want more? We obviously like more than that, but do you think we could get between eight and 12? 12 probably gets us in the finals. It's still a
1: long way to go. For that. <laughs> so, the, to answer your first question, the lid for me is still firmly placed Ooh. on. And I think I'm happy to do that from a uh, conservative approach to save a bit of face uh, if anyone listens to this back at some stage. But um, yeah, no, I think realistically, we've had, we've won the games early in the year that we expected to win. And now we've won one that we weren't expected to win. Now we go into a phase where we're really going to see over the next month, five weeks, as you said, that uh, of what, where we are at. And as you said, there's no reason why we can't win some of those games. Um, just shows on the weekend that you're a chance in every game if you go out to play. So, um, yeah, I think, can we win between eight and 12 games? Yeah, we can. We've already won four. So, like you said, we've got some sides in there again that we should be beating. And, and if that's the improvement this year, that we beat the sides that are around us, then yeah, that probably does get us around that sort of eight games mark, and probably puts you in that horrible position on the ladder where you finish somewhere between ninth and twelfth. But does that matter? If, as long as we're improving, yeah, we lose a bit of a you know draft ranking there. But um, if if you're improving and the general you know momentum that you're gaining is good, then that's not such a bad thing. So I guess if I was to ask you a question now, hypothetically. If, if you could see the future and the scenario is that we make finals, but we get a tough opponent interstate and we, you know, are likely that it's going to be pretty challenging. There's a chance that we get blown away by 10 plus goals again, as we have in previous elimination finals, or as we went through, we maybe win that eight games mark. We finish roughly around, you know, 11th, 12th, something like that. And it's a bit of a bit of a so-so finish. What do you think is better for the development of the group—the excitement of making finals and showing that we are in the top half of the competition, and that we and that we maybe do belong, although we, you know, possibly get blown away—or do you think the progression and building on that momentum into the next year to say, "Hey, let's go a step further," because previously making the finals or getting smashed has been maybe a bit mentally damaging for us? So what? Obviously, hard to answer, but what, what what do you see as the way up? What's what's kind of you know the, the outcome that probably sets us up better long term?
0: I, again, I think I'll take the leaf out of your book. We're getting way ahead of ourselves at round five after <laughs> after four wins, uh, but my gut reaction was initially don't make finals because the scarring that'll do us like it's done in previous years. Right, it's better to just have a bit more of a slow build, and I probably still agree with that. But what I what I will say is that I think we get caught up too much in the how long has it been since we've been a final, and I'm as guilty as anyone on that. Right, but what I think is a bigger problem is the fact that we go from seventh to eighth, and then the next year we're sixteenth and then we work up in there, and then we go from to 7th to 8th, and then we're 16th. It's like a, a four-year cycle every time. One in four, we make a final, and then we get smashed, and then it, it knocks the stuffing out of us for the next three years till we work back up to that place, and it happens again and again and again. I think as much as I'd like to win a final and we don't want to lose, what I would like to see us do, if we did make finals and lose, I'd be more interested in seeing if we can get back to finals the next year, right? And even if we lose two years in a row in finals, it's an improvement by the fact that we've got the finals two years in a row. And the the lessons that you learn from making finals and working over 22 weeks to put yourself in a position, I think is really valuable. You go back to the Tigers... In like 20, 13, 14, 15, whatever it was. Like they made finals three times in a row, got knocked out the first week. I think one of those years was their famous day, the trip to Adelaide where Cochin kicked against the wind and they got pumped by port, right? But the thing is they got to the same spot every year. And they were coming, they were a basket case before that. And just the act of working through 22 weeks and getting to finals and then repeating the next year and getting to finals and getting to finals, that experience hardened the players, hardened the group and solidified this is the game plan, this is how it works, these are the players that are going to execute these roles on game day. And then I think the jump from seventh to premiers was quite quick. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen in our case and the Tigers have had some... Some pretty good players there, but who who knows? Like, there could be players in our list that, that in fifteen years' time, we're talking like those players, like Reed and Cox. You know, Reed could be you know the next Alex Rance, or, uh, we just don't know that. Either. You know, Alex Rance in his first four years, you know, he, no one thought he'd end up being a five-time All Australian. Uh, he was a he was, you know, an, a middling player, right, had talent, right, but was, was middling, you know, Coxie, Baldwin, you know, Harry Jones, you know, if Jonesy gets fit and, shows, and develops on the promise that he showed earlier, he could be an all-Australian centre-half forward, you know, star, taking hangers every week. So that's kind of my thoughts on it.
1: So the lids off for you is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Let a man dream. No, I think in all seriousness, for anyone listening, we are obviously uh, pretty conservative. I think in our approach. For anyone that's listened to the pod over the years, will understand that. So um, yeah, we're, I think we're just looking forward to to enjoying going the footy again every week because it wasn't so enjoyable last year. Um, so I think that that's the big takeaway this year is that you actually get excited about. <laughs> The weekend and about who we're playing, and you know, getting getting back into watching some footy shows and things like that. And it's, uh, it's enjoyable to watch the footy again just by the way that we're playing. And that's something we talked about off air, and we might have even talked about on air,
0: Mark. That we want to try and be a bit more positive this year. Last year, I think, like all of us, the people, we got a bit negative, and then the way the size was performing, the way it went all off field, and it, was, it, it got a bit of a grind there every week coming on here trying to talk about, you know, the good things and the fact that we do a good, bad and ugly, there's by default two of those things are negative. And there was, you know, we talked this weekend, we don't really have too much bad or ugly to talk about. (laughs) Last year there was some weeks where there was not too much in the good category and you'd spend an hour just talking negative. So maybe a subconscious attempt to be a bit more positive and get some excitement whilst acknowledging that we're still – Three to five years away in you know, all in all likelihood.
1: Very much a uh, young, developing side. I think there's, um, yeah, I think there's no question in that, and that's the the realistic uh, kind of kind of uh, understanding on that. Just on, they talk about young side. How
0: long until one of the buffoons in the media run with? Oh, is this the baby bombers, right? I reckon there's been about 75 versions of the Baby Bombers in the last 30 years. <laughs> Every time we have two or more players that are under the age of 20 play a good game, oh, it's the Baby Bombers, the Baby Bombers. It's like, let's look back at who, who was in that act, the original Baby Bombers, and some of the greats in, in the history of our club, right, and look at all the people who have been declared Baby Bombers since that time. Uh, probably haven't reached that stand.
1: <laughs> it's a good point, and to, to answer your question, that that headline will absolutely come out if we if we manage not to get up on ANZAC Day. Um, all right. Well, speaking of ANZAC Day, so we we'll have to come back to preview that show. Um, look forward to doing that, and uh, getting excited about going to the game. So, with that, let's uh, wrap up this show, and um, yeah, keep keep your uh, your eyes peeled on your podcast platform of choice for an Anzac Day preview. Go Dons. Go Bombers.